Welcome to Peers Like Me. Peers Like Me is a regularly updated podcast developed to increase everyone's understanding of the effects of people who have behavioral health issues on our families, neighbors, and communities. Peers Like Me is designed to increase understanding and knowledge for people in our community from a peer, people with lived experiences, perspective, which will result in improved community inclusion. Our hope is that by sharing our knowledge and experiences with the issues, our community will gain better understanding and acceptance, resulting in an improved quality of life for everyone. Today, our guests are Harvey Rosenthal, Chief Executive Officer, New York Association of Psychiatric Rehabilitation Services, and Adam Salon, Peer Services Coordinator of Restoration Society Incorporated. Our host is Mara Kelly. Thank you. Uh, welcome, Harvey and Adam. Um, thank you for joining me. Uh, can you tell a little bit about your organization and your history in New York State and Erie County in dealing with people with mental illness or labeled with mental illness? Yeah. So I'm uh, Harvey Rosenthal. I'm the CEO of the New York Association of Psychiatric Rehabilitation Services. Thank you, Maura, for, for doing this. It's really very important at this time. Uh, Maura is, by the way, a former board member and longtime activist within NIAPRS and other groups as well. Um, we really go back to the human rights movement, and we really carry on that tradition of really making sure people have self-determination and choice and services that promote hope and recovery and dignity. So we have, towards that end, we have tried to fight for those values in policy, in practice, both in New York and nationally. Thank you, Harvey. Uh, and, and I'm Adam Salon. I'm uh, with Restoration Society in uh, Western New York, primarily in Buffalo. Um, we are a 50-year nonprofit uh, that's been serving the mental health community uh, with an array of services, um, innovative services for, for many years. And so we're, we're very familiar with this population. Um, right. So when you talk about this population, what does this population look like? I, like, I, I know you agencies, but Harvey, you're in New York City, Adam... <laughs> are all around New York. Adam, you deal with a lot of homeless people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it seems like you guys deal with like really serious um, yeah. issues. I, I, I would say more at, at our level, we're really, I think the core community of Niapers are generally people who either have or identify as having a disability, which means that that has, you know, affected their lives, maybe at, at any given time cause people to get entitlements, maybe and at that in a given moment, not be able to work, sometimes be unhoused. Um, people who, by the way, because of our services, recover in a full way, and you would not identify that these are formerly incarcerated or homeless or people with long histories of, of, uh, of the struggle, because that's what recovery is all about. Yeah, and at Restoration Society, you know, I, exactly what Harvey said, we, we're working with people across the continuum of care, as we call it, you know, some folks who have their basic needs not met, and, and we meet them where they're at, um, with shelter services, uh, you know, emergency crisis stabilization, a lot of those different um, initial pieces, and, and, and all the way through, um, through supported housing, employment, and, uh, you know, social services, et cetera. Thank you. And, and I just want to point out that 
Restoration Society basically was the agency that assisted all the homeless people in Erie County during COVID, the height of COVID. Well, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So we're part of the Code Code Blue Collaborative, in addition to uh, right. you know our own kind of the the only mental health specific uh, warming center, uh, right. Armor House Resource Center in, in downtown right. Buffalo. Um, Great. Yeah. So I, I'm 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 desperate. I'm interrupting because last night I was watching the news, WIBB Channel Four, and they had this segment where the governor hopeful is announcing these radical changes and radical assistance to help people that are considered not able to care for themselves because they're homeless and need food or shelter. And that she has this initiative that she's not disclosing because she doesn't like to negotiate in public to take care of all these people, to take, to care for these people um and if they don't want the care they're gonna she's gonna uh i guess have judges order these people to care so I, i'm very complex because in 2018 well in, in 2020 there is over nine ninety one thousand homeless people in new york state and in 2018, there's only 5,419 beds for people uh, for psychiatric uh, care in the hospitals. And oh, I, I I'm wondering pick about our liberties and our, our, you know, our freedom and all that stuff. What, what's going on there? I'd like to pick up on that. So a couple of thoughts. This, I think the whole discussion around forced treatment really should be brought down to the failure of systems to engage people. It's not the person's fault. Uh, it's We have not always known how to promote recovery. People like us have not been sort of face forward in the system. Um, and I think the stuff we're hearing now, and so that led to this belief that you should force people into outpatient treatment. Now we know that doesn't work. It's not, we, we never, we've not seen a true comparison. But what's happening now in New York really comes out of what's happening in New York City with homeless people in the subways and high profile um, a crime or two, a murder or two, which is so rare from our community, but has driven policy. And now we're talking about sweeping the subways of the homeless, suggesting that many of them are mentally ill. And that's true more that the governor is putting up a thousand new beds hospital mm -hmm. beds. And, and you know what, that's good. And it's great that she's raising the rates so that people hopefully will be able to stay a bit longer and not be pushed out too mm -hmm. early. But, you know, we that is voluntary kind of care. It's voluntary engagement for people who are unhoused and voluntary uh, stays in hospitals we want and good discharge plans. I would say poor discharge plans are probably the number one reason why people fall through the cracks. They are discharged quickly no housing, no peer support. And, you know, things happen after that. And people really wind up being homeless, really struggling and, uh, and struggling with food insecurity and all kinds of things like that. Yeah. yeah. What does it, what does it mean to be uh, forced outpatient treatment? What does that mean? What, like, how, I don't understand it. How would the community- The way, the way it's worked in past. I mean, the statute was passed in 1999. We have been fighting it ever since for 20 years. We've been able to keep it from being expanded and made permanent. This is the roughest battle we've ever had in the 20 years. 
the way it, it normally works is people uh, uh, send in a petition of a person they feel like should be on forced treatment. The county probably works with a provider and draws up a plan. They bring it to a judge. The judge approves it 99% of the time. And then the person is generally, a uh, forced treatment order generally means you're seeing, you're seeing a clinician taking medicine, maybe doing other things around services. But frankly, a lot of it is around medication. Um, so that's the way it's been, but now we're fighting even expansions in that. If we have time, I'm happy to get into it. Morning, that. Stephanie. Hi, I thought. So um, force treatment, that's a nice way of saying sort of like forced medication. Is that what it's sort of being like? I think I think a fair amount is around medication. And yeah, if you're taking yeah. it against your will, then it's forced. Yeah, that, so... We don't force people to get vaccinations, but we're forcing these people to like be ordered to take medication. Wow, that's that's scary. So I think we yeah. have been tarred by this connection with violence that really has right. haunted us, even though it's so rare, it causes but I also would say in fairness, there are people that we know we care about that are really struggling and we want to be helpful to them. It's um and but we can do that in a way that respects their rights. Right. So what so people are in the community and they clearly see people that need help. So what why wouldn't they need force? Why wouldn't they, you know, they're not thinking right, you know, uh what what why is that a problem? Well, I just want to open it up for Adam, but I just want to say yeah. that I think peer support in particular. We in peer support, we are, we were one, we've been a, a real change agent in what, how we see people and how we support them. And I think we know how to not get intimidated by people's struggles or symptoms and how to engage people from where they are. People don't necessarily come to us wanting medicine, housing, food, entitlements. And that's often the best way to engage someone who then, if they need or want medication, that's, that, that's a voluntary you know, choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let me jump in on that, Harvey. Um, you know, I've had the privilege of working in kind of pure alternative services for the better part of a decade. Um, and there's a familiarity, a comfortability you get with assessing someone in a natural way, um, kind of uh, asking them, you know, where did you sleep last night? You know, what, what are your resources? What are you connected with? And a familiarity with the system, you know, I often get... Uh, police officers were, meet, were meeting some of the same people and they're asking me for the resources. Um, you know, what do I do with this person, et cetera? Um, you know, that's what we do at Restoration Society. We're serving across our programs, you know, 700 to 800, uh, at, at times 1,500 uh, individuals um, at, at, like I said, different stages of uh, wellness. And, uh, you know, it's person-centered care. You know, we like to say our motto is connecting the disconnected. And I just think uh, an expansion of Kendra's law is kind of two or three steps backwards to, um, you know, where we have fought so hard to um, treat people in, in need with dignity and, um, and kind of promote their voice and choice, you know, no matter what uh, uh, stage they are at in their recovery. And more, I think to, to your point, what do you do when people are in a struggle and, and, it doesn't seem right. to get any better. We would call that a crisis. And very often our ability to get ahead of crisis or to support people through crisis is what we're really good at. 
But I will say also in the state, the governor, federal government, local government is putting up some really great crisis kind of services that do outreach, engagement, hotlines. You in in Buffalo, I talk all the time about Erie County and the services that RSI and uh, uh, Western New York Independent Living and Recovery Options. The stuff you're doing under one roof, for example, you're having a crisis Mm -hmm. stabilization, several respite programs. That is what people need to know about. Those are the answers we need. All right, great. So we hear this term a lot, person-centered care. So is that really the, like, so every person has their own individual plan? Like, is, like, it's not like everyone should be hospitalized or everyone should be put in the state hospital again. And if we had the institutions, we wouldn't have this problem. So what does it mean to be person-centered? Like why? I, I don't think people understand what that means. So, well, for, for one, you know, to hospitalize, like any sort of cookie cutter service is not going to meet the needs of the kind of unique okay. needs of each individual. So it's um, not like uh, if I have diabetes, I should, you know, do this specific diet. It's not like, you know, no, so it's not you like know, that. everybody. It, you know, in in a healthcare relationship, it's about um, sort of your your uh, participation and and the system's participation. And, and I think specifically within peer services, um, specifically the, the, the services that NIAPRS and Restoration Society is uh, connected with and providing are uh, innovative, you know, in, in that they're also built in this tradition of like a human rights uh, movement, like Harvey mentioned, but, but they're innovative where, you know, home and community-based services, um, uh, wraparound services, all, all types of, you know, crisis stabilization, peer um, interventions, all of these different things that are kind of, we deserve to see the funding and, and, and community awareness to be accessed and utilized fully. Um, because, you know, like I said, I've had the privilege of doing this for years and it works every day. I have a different opportunity to kind of connect individuals. I, and I just want right, to so- jump in, Maura. I just want to jump in and say, uh, one of the people we want to talk about today was Jack Ostafero, who yes, uh, yes. was, a fa- I think, the founder of Restoration uh, Society. And uh, Jack recently passed away, but throughout his life, he was a, a vibrant advocate for uh, choice and recovery and against forced treatment. So one of the things I remember about Jack is that when we were fighting forced treatment, he was the president. And he went anywhere and everywhere. And, you know, when I we wrote news releases, he gave or, you know, worked with quotes. But the thing I really loved is when we had forced treatment, in, not only in New York, but in other states, they looked to us for help. So New Mexico in particular, California. And Jack was the, you know, once he said, yeah, I, you should go out there and help right. them. And in both instances, we helped them sort of fight off forced treatment. But really, that was Jack's vision always Thank about you. rights and recovery. Right. So we have a dilemma here. So the governor is pushing this amendment and time's ticking. So, and then the people that this impacts the most probably weren't watching TV last night, seeing what the government is trying to do. So what can we do to protect our rights uh, and our um, freedom in New York, in this country, regarding forced treatment? What can we do? I think we have to organize. I just want to say that the biggest threat this year, both in inpatient units 
hospitalizations mm -hmm. involuntary and the desire to increase involuntary outpatient commitment is all based on an interpretation that danger to self can constitute if you're having trouble with food, clothing, shelter, mm -hmm. that that constitutes dangerous self and gives people the right to scoop you up and hospitalize you involuntarily or right. put you on a Kendra's Law order. So Maura, we've been working on this all year long. As I mentioned, we've always been successful. Right. This is a really tough one. So for example, a week or so ago, Adam and other people joined us in uh, Albany. We had a hundred people, one of the first groups back in the capital, but you know, sort of post COVID. And we got seven pieces of, uh, of media sort of coverage. And we ruled the day that day and ruled the week. Last week, not so good because the governors come out with these proposals, but we're putting out, you know, alerts. Today, people are gonna get a sign in. We're working very closely, very closely with the legislature because they have the ability to block what the governor's right. proposing. So we're working very closely with them every day this week. And the, uh, the people, we're getting a lot of support in the legislature. Well, thank you so much. Uh, at one point in time in my life, I, I chose to live in my car. I chose, that was my safe place. And that was my place that I could deal with things. And um, if someone forced me out of that, I, I really don't know what where I would be today. But I had the right to have my own safe place. And I think, you know, most people with mental health issues are trauma survivors. And, uh, you know, we're not dangerous, we're more victims. And uh, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem American. So thank you for all your help. And what can the community do if they want to help us or the people in our community, other people? In our I, just community. Want to pick, I just want to pick up and say, our community is 11 times more likely to be a victim of violence, right. and five times more likely to be a victim of murder. But I'll pass the answer on to Adam. I think he was. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to kind of echo what you were saying there, more, and that forced treatment can be, you know, solving trauma with more trauma, uh, right. re-traumatization. Uh, you know, so often we're sort of working with people on the other end of, you know, forced treatment and uh, and having to rebuild trust and and in these supports and these networks and um, and kind of this uh, experience of. Uh, yeah, not, you know, not having any voice or choice, you know, we like to promote uh, right. person-centered planning and all those pieces that, uh, you know, uh, can help somebody make a decision in a time of need. Great, great. Yeah. I don't know where our community would be without services and programs like yours. I just don't know. Well, and, so, and advocates like you, Maura, um, and, and Harvey, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're so grateful to, uh, you know, this community and, and right. that, you know, we continue this fight. That, that Can you fun. imagine if, if there's funding for all these things and, and there is starting to be funding for the Christ, the Christian Vincent uh, respite house and things mm -hmm. like that happening now, but uh, we have to continue that. And the yeah. more choices people have, I think the better they'll be off, you know. And because so, we're really, I think a lot of the attention rightfully is focused on crisis right now. Right. And again, if you help a crisis, then you don't get to a place where you're looking for forced treatment if you respond to what people need. So now we have 988 is about to come out in July. People will call this number and get a counselor 
not a cop if you call 911. People will have a stabilization center they'll be able to go to. In your wonderful program, the Kirsten Business Center, you'll have mm -hmm. a series of crisis mm -hmm. programs. So uh, we have peer bridging that will help people leave hospital. Uh, you know, we have a whole range of programs, particularly peer programs that really provide, re you know, real, real solutions. But right. I think the, the, the growing focus on crisis and the tremendous role peers have to play here will help people, but also make clear, this is the way to fix a, a, a failed system. Right. And, not yeah. force, and not to yes. force people into the same old services that have failed them before. And, and, and more getting back to like what you were asking about the uh, what can the community what can community members maybe who haven't had these experiences who aren't peers themselves but but to understand sort of these stories and to um we the next stage is like harvey saying formalizing these peer networks um and these how, how peers are often the liaisons connecting the dots between these services so that right. people don't fall through the cracks and, and raising community awareness of these resources so that right. um they're utilized that 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 might be your first call and um Right. So how can we educate our governor from Western New York on th this, That's all right. these new initiatives and evidence-based practices? What, what, what can the person listening to this do right now today to uh, help educate the legislators and our governor? I would, I, would say couple, I would say a couple of things. First of all, the most powerful way to fight stigma is disclosure. I'm a person right. in recovery for 50 years. Right. That means when RSI was being founded, I was in a hospital. Um, and I've been working in this field for, you know, 45 years. So disclosure is really important to kind of lower the, you know, the there's the other who's less than and, and is us supposedly right. over here. We're all part of a continuum, all of us. Mm -hmm. So I think disclosing, uh, doing it publicly if people are comfortable. What you can do out here is to get the word out, get newspaper articles written, get mm -hmm. TV spots written, you know, done to really both educate about recovery, show people that are in recovery and talk about the real solutions and and explain why Force Stream is not the solution. If the governor, the governor, you know, and her people watch all these shows, all the and writing letters and calling in, you know, all those things add up to getting the governor's attention. I will say, though, that we have an extra wrinkle here. It's an election year, and there's a real wave now about are we, have we become soft on crime, and somehow we're in that group as, you know, and criminalized in that way. And so I think we, we have to, you know, really detach ourselves from this idea of violence and, and, and needing to be cracked down. So it's a horror to be to talk about our people like that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very, very disconcerting. Well, thank you so much for joining Peers Like Me. Um, I know there's a lot of people interested in this. A lot of fellow peers I know uh, subscribe to this podcast. And uh, we will get the word out. And, you know, we have mental illness. You know, that's, that's, the, the, that's how the cards were dealt. And we're dealing with it in, uh, you know, the best way in new ways. So thank you, Adam and Harvey, very much for your time today. Hopefully we're going to get the word out more and uh, increase recovery. You know, please, so. please encourage your listeners to don't hesitate to reach out, to join the peer workforce, to, to become right. advocates, to get connected to these kind of legislative right. efforts where we'll, we'll, we'll 
drop what we're doing to connect them with these. And I'm going to give out my email address because we need as many yes. people to be advocating. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say it slow twice. It's Harvey R at Niapers, N-Y-A-P-R-S dot O-R-G. Again, Harvey R, H-A-R-V-E-Y-R at N-Y-A-P-R-S dot O-R-G. We can put you on a news list, a uh, listserv. You can get information every day about these kinds of issues, and that will help you figure out how to join the army of advocacy and, and for recovery. Thank you so much. And Buffalo is the city of good neighbors. And I'm sure you'll be hearing from a lot of people. Uh, Adam and Harvey, thank you. Thank you, Maura. Thank you. Thank you Maura. All right. You've been listening to Peers Like Me, a podcast that explores issues related to behavioral health, sponsored by Western New York Independent Living, Inc., with the assistance of the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Today, our guests have been Harvey Rosenthal, Chief Executive Officer of New York Association of Psychiatric Rehabilitative Services, and Adam Sellen, Peer Services Coordinator of Restoration Society Incorporated. Our host has been Mara Kelly. This program features the song Thanks for Morning by Caliph Nasirs, available under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial license which can be viewed at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy dash nc slash 3.0 slash legal code. <laughs>